Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning, and thanks to the many of you who served uh, yesterday for our party on the block. We had a great turnout, and we were boiling in the late October heat. By the, by the end of the time, I had a bag full of mushy chocolate I was giving to the kids. They didn't seem to mind. Uh, I think we had like 500 or so kids come through. It's just a great way to love on our community, and thank you so much for uh, being a part of that. It was a good day for Open Door. And by the way, got a huge praise report. Uh, last Sunday, it was our Giving Sunday, and we, we ask you all to make a, uh, a one-time uh, gift over and above your, your regular giving. And we have collected up to today over $75,000. And I just wanna thank you for that. <clears throat> I was just a huge blessing to uh, the elders and to our staff. And again, just know this is why we can do things like party on the block and serve our kids. And, uh, and one of the things we get to do with the money that you give is support our church planters and our missionaries, which by the way, I have an actual visual of that this morning because the Geyers showed up. And uh, come on, Geyers, come on on stage. Uh, just a couple of days ago, Michael said, hey, we're gonna be in town. I said, come on. Let's worship together. It's been a while, and, um, and this is where your money goes to uh, serve. Uh, and uh, a huge part of our budget each year goes towards church planning and international missions. And so, Michael, why don't you just give us a quick update and introduce everybody. Mm, yeah, so uh, five years ago, you sent us out, and uh, we had one child, our daughter Amelia. Since then, we've added a few, our son John, Caroline, <laughs> Uh, and Graham, uh, and uh, it's been a real joy to see our family grow. Uh, and as our family has grown, so has Treasuring Christ Church. Um, uh, we, uh, in this past season, uh, even as uh, we've walked through some transitions with our building location, um, we were meeting in a location that had some flooding in the basement that led us to move. Uh, God's been on the, on the move and at work. We've, we've added a worship director uh, this, uh, this past August, four new residents that started uh, with us that are working in kids' ministry as our kids' ministry has expanded. This fall, we're kicking off a, a middle school ministry, seeing God at work there. And then uh, we're currently meeting on Sunday afternoon. And so tonight, while we're away, uh, one of our other pastors is preaching and we'll be voting on a third elder uh, to add to uh, our church leadership, uh, which is a huge blessing. And, uh, and so even in the midst of uh, the things that are going on, we've, we've been faithful and seeking to be faithful to allow the word to do the work. We just heard about Reformation Sunday, Martin Luther said as the gospel spread uh, during the Reformation, uh, it was the word that did the work. And so we've been uh, seeking to be faithful to preach God's word, share the gospel, make disciples. Uh, and God's been at work. A few ways you could pray for us as we uh, think about our location. Uh, we're about to switch, Lord willing, to a location on Sunday morning. Uh, that'll get us back into a little bit of a groove, but we're also uh, in the beginning stages of a conversation about a merger with an established SBC church in our community uh, that we pray uh, the Lord would lead us through and guide us through in those decisions. And uh, we, we wanna, even in the midst of changing circumstances and locations, we wanna keep the mission, uh, the mission, uh, making Christ known. Um, and knowing him. And uh, we couldn't do that without you guys. I, I really I can't say thanks enough for Pastor Duane. We got to sit in worship at 915 and just be encouraged uh, in God's word. Uh, eight years ago, 10 years ago, maybe now when I came to this church as a seminary student and sit under the preaching and the worship of this church, uh, I didn't know it then, but it's formed us into who we are today. And uh, we couldn't I couldn't do what we do without you holding the rope and supporting us. So uh, keep doing the work that God's called you to do here and know that we're doing it in Ann Arbor. Thank you. 
You'll be praying for the Geyers. And we're so grateful for their work here in Ann Arbor. And go blue. I never get much reaction from them. Oh, by the way, uh, if you still want to join us in our Giving Sunday, we'll, we'll take your money. There's some more pledge cards, and you can fill those out and turn those in. We're, we're happy to support the Geyers and, and many other things. So let's go to Hebrews 10 now, friends. Hebrews 10. It really is important that we think about perseverance, not just on Reformation Sunday. That was one of the hallmark doctrines of the Reformation, but it's also uh, one of the keys to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is about Christ being the superior son and we, better than Israel, we persevere. We're a persevering people. And I want to talk about that perseverance and I want to talk this Sunday uh, as to how that perseverance demands a corporate body that encourages one another to endure. So the book of Hebrews talks about Christianity as a race that we run, but we don't run this race alone. And you will persevere to the end, to the extent that you surround yourself with a local church that runs the race with you. It is so vitally important that you're here this morning. And I'm going to try to encourage you all the more as to why it is vital that you gather with your church family week in and week out. And, and listen, I, I know when you come, you, you, you would typically walk away saying, I've been encouraged, I've been blessed, glad I came. But there's other reasons why you should be here. Because it's, it's not as much as you being encouraged that you would choose to come to encourage each other. It is your encouragement to other brothers and sisters that allows us to run this race together. So I want us to just think about this as we study the last part of Hebrews 10 and note that, that what we have is a, is, a, is a power that God gives for us to persevere. And, and this comes through two things. First, Christ and his superior sacrifice. But secondly, the encouragement that we receive to endure from fellow saints as we gather regularly. So, so three lessons from Hebrews 10. And the first, it deals with this need for us to encourage each other's endurance when we gather. The author of Hebrews says, verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way that's an important phrase you might want to underline, a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So now, we have reached the practical part of Hebrews. And this is now summarizing everything that we have learned. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written to a church. The church had many Jews who had become followers of Jesus, but there were also some Jews who had decided, I don't want to follow Christ. 
I don't want a life of suffering. I don't want to experience the persecution that I've seen these Christians experience. And yes, I, everything you say about Jesus, yeah, that sounds great and all, but you know, I think I like the old religion. I'm going to go back to Judaism. I'm going to go back to the law and I'm going to go back to the temple and I'm going to go back to the sacrifices. I reject who Jesus is and I reject this offer of salvation through faith in Christ alone. I'm going back to the works of the law. In Hebrews, it's all about warning. Don't go back. Don't fall away. Don't reject. And, and, and so Hebrews tells us that Christ is superior to that. Why would you go back? You're going to go back to Moses? Well, Jesus is a better mediator. You're going to go back to the law? Well, Christ has come to fulfill the law. You're, you're going to go back to offering the blood of animals, goats, and bulls? Don't you understand that every single animal that has had its blood shed now for several millennia cannot compare to one drop of blood that the Son of God, our Savior, shed on the cross? Are you going to go back to to a religion that, that you cannot be sure that your sins have been forgiven? Are you going to go back to something that, that, that just covers your sin but doesn't cleanse you from the inside out? Why would you do that? Why would you reject this? Brothers and sisters, since, since now we have been given the boldness not to go to a temple but to go straight to heaven, and worship the living God because Jesus' sacrifice is greater. He's the greater sacrifice. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater prophet. He himself is the temple and has torn away the veil. We get to go straight to God because of Christ. And so why would we go back since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the very blood of Jesus it is Christ who has inaugurated a new way for us. We go to God through him. Now, because we have Jesus as our high priest over the house of God, that is the church, the household of God. Since we have that, now what can we do? Well, uh, Hebrews is going to give us three commands today. Three commands and then a very strong warning. And the commands are going to be surrounded by the phrase, let us, let us. And we're going to see as the church, what we, how are we to respond? And the first in verse 22 is simply this, let us draw near, that's to God, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So now, what the author of Hebrews is talking about is what happens when we gather. Uh, not just the saints gathering then, but you, the saints of God that have gathered this morning. Like, what are we doing in this moment? As we have assembled together, we have become the local church, and we are offering worship to God. We have the opportunity to draw near to God together, but we have to do it with the right heart. Uh, the Psalms talk about uh, entering God's courts with thanksgiving and entering these 
gates with praise, that there is a right posture that we would have. We come to give thanks. We come to praise God. David, in writing Psalm 24, as he was imagining the people of God traveling up the hill uh, that, that they got to the temple or the tabernacle where they would worship God, and he's imagining what type of person would be able to stand before a holy God. He said, he, he, he said who, who can ascend this holy hill? I mean, are you righteous enough? Are you holy enough to go and meet and worship a holy God? David said, only those with clean hands and pure hearts. David understood that something had to take place within us that cleanses us in order for us then to be able to approach a holy and a righteous God. And that, my friends, is the blood of Christ. So we now can draw near with hearts that have been changed, with a full assurance of our faith, knowing that what Christ did on the cross is he has cleansed us from the inside out. That's when he says our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's the work that the Spirit of God does when he saves us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then, then it says so that our bodies can be washed with pure water. That means that, that salvation has taken place in such a way that that, that we have become cleansed from the inside out by, by what the Bible calls the washing of regeneration. That word just simply means to be born again. But the sense is you've been completely washed by the Spirit of God and made new. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of our spirit, that's something that Israel never experienced, that the old covenant never enjoyed. This, this, this cleansing and this washing that, that once, uh, by the way, someone has experienced this, this washing of regeneration, this spiritual baptism, we know that we simply follow that in obedience by being baptized in water as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the washing of our bodies with water is, is simply a a, a, a symbol of what God has done on the inside. And all of this is to allow us to have access to God. We can draw near to our great God. And no one else can, by the way. You know, the most powerful people in the world, you can't just have access to them. You just don't get access. The most powerful kings in history, you just don't get access to them unless you're a child. The child of the king has free access to go straight to the king and sit on his lap. And it was Jesus who said, let these children come to me. They belong to me. As a child of God, you have direct access to God. I, could, I want you to appreciate how unbelievable that is. There is nothing stopping you from going straight to God and worshiping him. And friends, when we gather together, we draw near to God with purified hearts, having been cleansed by the Spirit of God. And now we get to the second let us statement. 
Now it says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Now what this means is simply that there is this confession of faith that we have. These truths that we hold to be fundamental that have been passed down from us since the time that this letter was written. Reformation Sunday reminds us that they reclaim these truths of the gospel and that the church must hold on to these truths with everything that it has. To hold on to our confession simply means we will not forsake nor forget that which saved us. These fundamental truths of our faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died as a substitute for you on the cross, making a vicarious atonement for your sins, that he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, that he is seated at the right hand of God, and that one day he will return physically in all power and glory, that he has saved and redeemed his church, that he has given us his word, which is a perfect and reliable account of who God is, that we believe that salvation comes through faith alone in Christ, by God's grace alone, which is recorded in this book, the revelation of God, which tells us our God loves us and he is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the confession that has been handed down to us. These are the truths on which we believe, and this is the hill on that on which we will die for. Amen? We must hold on to this confession. It's been passed down to us, and we hold on to it together. That's why we're a confessional people. That's why we sing songs about our, our faith. That's why we teach. That's why we pray about our faith. We are a confessional people, and we keep the promise. Why? Because God is faithful. Let us consider one another. Uh, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, without changing, because he who promised is faithful, and that's who our God is. He is faithful to keep his promises. His word is faithful, it is true, and Christ is faithful. There's nothing else that he needs to do for you to prove his faithfulness. And so we, we've got the first two let us statements. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold on. And now the third, let us consider one another. The third imperative for you today deals with those that are sitting around you. Your brothers and your sisters in your local church. There is a command for you to respond to those that have gathered with you to worship. And here it is. Let us consider each other in order to provoke love and good works amongst one another. And now the caution is not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but rather encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Three parts to this exhortation. First, you need to consider how important it is that you came to church today. You need to consider how important it is for you to be here. Because a big part of you being here 
is to encourage those around you who've also come to gather and worship today. And here's where the giving is more important than the receiving. Now, I hope that whenever you come to church with us at Open Door, that you leave encouraged, you leave blessed, and you are motivated to go live out your faith throughout the week. I hope that you come wanting to receive that. But more importantly, when you come to church, I want you to come to give. To give. You're saying, what, what am I supposed to give? I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not on stage. I, I, I'm not preaching. What am I to give? You're supposed to give yourself, you see. You give yourself. And you, 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 you give in such a way that you encourage, you motivate, you stimulate each other towards loving God more and being godly. We are to provoke each other towards the love of God and godliness. We, we motivate each other when we come. And, and, and so, you know, you have to understand that, that a huge part of simply you being a part of the church is gathering regularly in corporate worship so that others are motivated towards the love of God and living like God because you're, you're here. Now, you say, how can I do that? How can I come ready to give? How can I motivate others in the church towards this? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. You just have to come ready to greet one another. The Bible often says, greet one another in Christ. Paul writes letters as greet each other. There's something essential just about greeting each other when you come to church. So I'm enlisting you all in our greeters ministry. You can formally do it, see Pastor Mark. You can informally do it, but you're all a part of our greeters ministry because that is one of our obligations. We greet one another. Now the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss and see some of you don't even obey that. Unless you're in our Spanish ministry, then you do. And, and it's interesting to me because we have such a diverse congregation. I, ha I have learned how to greet each and every one of you. Sometimes I offer my cheek to be kissed or a shoulder to be hugged. Sometimes it's a handshake or a fist bump. If you're not sure if you or I am germaphobic, we just kind of do that. Uh, for some of you, it's a wave or a nod. It's just a whole, there's a whole thing to it. But you know what? It's fine as long as we greet one another. As long as we show that we love each other. We have to do that. And now I want you to go a step beyond the greeting and I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm going to challenge you that every time you come to church, that you make sure before you leave that you've had at least one meaningful conversation. I know that's my challenge to you. It will change the atmosphere of our church if you do this. There's an expect expectation that, that, that I do it, even though I love to do it. But what about you? What about you? Do you know that if you made sure that you had a meaningful conversation with someone before you leave this place, that that conversation may be the most important thing that happened to them by coming to church? Do you know that? I'm telling you, it can. Because people come to Sunday morning with all kinds of baggage, all kinds of circumstances, and often all kinds of weights and all kinds of hurts. 
And it just may be that simple conversation that you have. Just, how you doing? How can I pray for you? That could change them. That could encourage them. That could then motivate them to have a similar conversation with someone else. All right, now, first of all, let me, let me clear the air here. None of us are Pastor Mark. None of us know everybody's name. He has a special chip inside of him that you don't have that I don't have. All right, so let's get over that. Stop not talking to someone because you're afraid that you don't know their name and you think that you're supposed to know their. Stop that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can just forget their name. You can get it Sunday and then forget it next Sunday and ask for it again. That's how it works. It's okay. If you love someone, talk to them. Just talk to them. Just say, hey, I'm so-and-so. What's your name? And then whether they, they've been here a month or 10 years, it's all good. It's all good. The most important thing is that you go out of your way just to talk to them, to encourage them, to get to know them. And I mean this, friends. How can I pray for you? How can I be of an encouragement to you? That conversation will do way more than you realize. We greet each other. We take time for meaningful conversations with one another. Now, here's another thing I got to challenge you with. You have to come early and stay late if you're going to do this. You can't come late and leave early to do this. If you come late and leave early, it means all you've come here is for yourself. I love you enough to be honest. You know who I am. If all you do is come late and leave early, you're just here for you. You're just here because I'm checking off church off, off the list. I don't think that's why God wants you to be here. I think God wants you to be here to love each other, which means you got to come early and you got to be willing to stay a little late. Lunch will wait. You all look, you all look fed. Just going to leave it there. You can wait. You can wait because there's someone that needs you. There's someone that needs to talk to you. There's someone that you need to greet. A visitor, a longtime member, it's both. It's both. You, you can come early. We have cookies. We've got sweet old ladies who will give you a cookie if you come early. You can come early. Meet those who've worshipped in the first hour. We're just continuing worship. It's all one worship. We just, we do it at 9.15. We do it at 11. Come early. Meet folks who are here. Stay later. Have some conversations. Please, please greet each other. Take time for each other. Sing with your whole heart. You're doing a much better job singing, but keep singing. Sing. That so encourages those around you. It doesn't matter how it sounds. It's just good to hear the volume. Sing. And serve. It takes dozens and dozens of people just for us to gather on Sunday. Be a part of that. And then be active. It's not just me preaching. Listen, we're in this together. You and I should be having a dialogue right now. We're engaging God's word together. Pray with me. Listen to what God is saying. And I'm telling you, we will become an amazing church as a result of that. And obviously then... We understand now why verse 25 says, don't neglect gathering together. 
It is just utterly dangerous for you and a disappointment for us when you're not here. Dangerous because you cannot endure without the people of God enduring with you and encouraging your endurance and disappointing because I need you. I need you to help me run the Christian race. We need each other. And so we cannot neglect the gathering. Even back in, in Hebrews, it was the habit of some not to show up when the church gathered. And, and the pastor there saying the same thing I'm saying to you, folks, we got to get together. We've got to make this a priority. You cannot motivate each other towards love and good works if you're absent. We can't motivate you if you're not here. And I'm telling you, it is the initial sign of someone falling away when they stop coming to church. That's always sign number one. They stop coming. Sign number two, they make excuses for not coming. Sign number three, they start blaming others. And four, they reject Jesus. I've seen it so many times. I'm dealing with it currently. Folks, it is imperative that we gather. We hold this confession together. And so we've, we've got to be here. You, you know, it is of the strictest of punishments, if you're in the military, to go AWOL. You receive the strictest of punishments because as a fellow soldier, you are absolutely needed and other soldiers depend on you. Well, friends, I don't know if you realize this, but we're in a war as Christians and we are all fellow soldiers and we need each other in order to fight this battle and to fight this battle well. Now, what I'm saying is going countercultural right now. The statistics of regular worship are, are quite horrifying. If you go back to the 1950s and the 1960s of average churchgoers and their average weekly attendance compared to today, it is pretty horrific. So I know what I'm asking you is counterculture. I'm asking you anyway, because my friends, what the Bible says is that we should be gathering more and more as the day approaches for Christ to return, not less and less. A couple more things, and I'm really going to get in your business right now, and I do it because I love you. Some of you do not have the same Sunday priorities as God has for you. For some of you, there's a lot of good things that you prioritize. Kids, sports, vacations, good things, good things. Hobbies, getaways, good things. But not the most important things. I would have you have the same priority for the Lord's day as God has for you. I'm just going to leave it right there. And then, then here's my ultimate. Jesus gathered every week. Jesus made sure he was in church every week. Okay, so I'm just going to leave it right there and we're going to move on. No, one more thing. God gives you 168 hours a week. 168. And some of you can't even give him a few in return. What are you doing, folks? Let's recommit ourselves. Those are the most important hours of your week. Amen? All right. I love you. 
Let's move on because, and, and let me, the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm about to show you this warning that is terrifying. And, and, and there were some back then that had stopped gathering and now they had decided they're out of the faith. And of course it still happens today. So there's a warning attached to this and we're going to see it in verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, if you continue down this path, as some, even within our church family, have done, at some point, there is no longer a sacrifice for your sins. But instead, a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that's about to consume the adversaries of Christ. In the Old Testament, verse 28, you kept disobeying the law. They would bring witnesses, and if it was proven too, true, you would be put to death. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? The Bible is very clear, friends. If you begin to fall away and you neglect your church, worship, if you stop holding to the confession of faith, if you stop holding on, if you stop considering one another, eventually if you fall away, it will get to the place where we have seen that maybe you never had the faith to begin with. I'm not talking about a person being backslidden. I'm talking about someone that we call an apostate someone who never had Christ in them to begin with. And it just simply was, if this was proven because they continued to fall away to the point where they began to deny who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it was Jesus who said, if you deny me before other people, I will deny you before my heavenly father. Peter, he quotes the same warning and Paul in writing to Timothy says, if we deny him, he will deny us. My friends, this is as sobering as it gets. Only the redeemed will enter into the glories of heaven. But hell for the rebellious, for those who remain in unbelief, for those who would deny the person and the work of Christ, those who would deny the Holy Spirit of his saving graces, those who remain in unbelief. If the Old Testament punished those who rebelled, how much more, verse 29, do you think the punishment will be for the person who tramples on the person and the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Those who would regard as profane the blood of the covenant 
by which he was sanctified and, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Now, unfortunately, at the end of days, there will be no offer for forgiveness for these people. Rather, vengeance. Not ours, but God's vengeance. As Deuteronomy says, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. Verse 31, friends. This is why we share the need for forgiveness with everyone. Because it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. The last thing, if you have yet to confess Jesus as Lord and surrendered your life for him, I'm begging you. It is a terrifying thing on the day of judgment for you to stand before a living God. Don't let that happen. Receive the grace of salvation and forgiveness now. Heaven is for the redeemed. Hell for the rebellious. And and, and so, with that warning in mind, God will, he will seek vengeance upon those who end up in rebellion. I mean, we, we don't like talking about this, but we do, because we have all of these silly movies about vengeance. We even call them Avengers, these silly people with all these powers. And what do they do? They protect the good, and they... They punish the bad. Like we have no problem watching it in a silly movie, but we don't like to talk about it in church. God's going to punish the bad. Right. He's the avenger. Vengeance is mine, he says. Ours is not to punish. Ours is to preach the good news. But one day God will avenge. God's justice is just as perfect as his grace. Amen? Can't, can't believe in one without the other. All right, now finally, here's, here's the last thing is an encouragement. And it does end on a very encouraging note. And basically, what, what the preacher here is saying to the church, he's saying, look, I, I remember all of you when you got saved. I remember what you were like. You would give up anything for Jesus. And many of you did. Many of you were humiliated and taunted and ridiculed. and Some were punished. Some were imprisoned. It didn't matter to you. Well, it shouldn't matter now. Look what he says. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, it's like you'd just gotten saved and you endured hard struggles with suffering. It was like, no, no big deal. I'll do anything for Jesus. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions and other times uh, you were companions of those who were treated. If, if you weren't being persecuted, you knew a brother or sister who was. For you sympathized with the prisoners because you knew that many Christians had been imprisoned and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Like, like the people would take all your stuff because now you're a Christian. You're like, who cares about this stuff? I got so much great stuff in store for me in heaven. It doesn't matter. You, you knew that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. All that mattered is you had Jesus. It's all that mattered. Do you remember that? Don't lose that. 
Don't lose that. So verse 35 says, just don't throw away your confidence. Because in that, it has a great reward for you. And then here's the reminder. This is why we need each other. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what God has promised you. Well, because that's the glory of heaven forever. We do God's will. We endure. We don't throw away our confession. We don't throw away our confidence. We know the reward is awaiting us. I can't wait next week for you to come. We get to Hebrews 11. And there's a story of these, these faithful followers from, from Noah forward and from righteous Abel forward and all of these men and women who have maintained the faith and now they're in heaven waiting for you. They're just waiting. And they gave up everything because of their faith. And they're, they're saying to you in heaven, it's worth it. Don't give up. Keep running the race. This is the promise, verse 37, taken from the prophet Habakkuk. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come. He won't delay. My righteous one will live by faith. If he falls away, if he draws back, I, I, I have no pleasure in you. But if he endures, I love this. God calls you his righteous one. If you keep the faith, if you endure, you're his righteous one. And, and yes, some will fall away. It happened then, it's going to happen today. But here's the end. Verse 39. We're not those people. We are not those people. We are not those who draw, draw back and end up being destroyed, but rather we are those who have faith. We are the same. Amen. Father, thank you for our promised perseverance. Thank you for the power that you give us to persevere. And Father, today I am thankful for my church family because they help me to endure, they encourage me to endure every time I gather with him. May all that we do, may all that we say, bring more and more and more glory to Christ. And may we continue to gather more and more until that day comes when Jesus returns and claims us as his church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.